The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. So let me invite you to open your Bibles to Genesis 39. If you're using one of the Bibles provided, you can find the passage beginning on page 33. Page 33 of the Bibles provided. Is the Lord with you? How, how precious is the presence of God to you? God's presence with His people has been a special comfort in seasons of suffering and sorrow. Many Christians have taken comfort in the words of Isaiah 43, verse 2, which reads, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. Reflecting upon these verses that... 19th century minister William Nicholson wrote about Christians going through trials. Without God's permissive hand, they would never take place. Trials would never take place. Without God's restraining hand, those trials would be overwhelming. Without God's supporting hand, the trials would be intolerable. Without God's sanctifying hand, they would never be blessed. Is it possible for you to think of your sufferings and even your sorrows as a place of blessing? It is only possible if you believe that the Lord is with you in that place. And this is what we have the privilege of thinking about together this morning from Genesis 39. Uh, a few weeks ago, we began our study of the final major section of Genesis, Genesis chapters 37 to 50. And that section, it focuses on the sons of Jacob. Genesis chapters 37 to 50 recounts God's faithfulness to these men who will be the heads of the 12 tribes of Israel, even in the face of their failure, which we see over and over again in these chapters. With Genesis 39, we turn back to see what happened with Joseph after his brothers sold him into slavery. And as this chapter opens, we're left with the question, how is God going to overrule the, the, the sins of these men to save them? And the short answer is this. God is going to pull Joseph, Joseph from the pit to the prison. Only then will he make it up into the palace. From there, our God will use Joseph to carry out his orchestrated plan to save his family from the coming famine. And while God is working out his grand plan, he is personally present with Joseph. As our, our brother Neil mentioned a few minutes ago, that the top and the tail of this passage show us that the Lord was with Joseph in everything. And this teaches us really the, the message of the passage, that the Lord was with Joseph wherever he went and whatever he went through. And that's the teaching of this text. The Lord was with Joseph wherever he went and whatever he went through. And this would have been a comfort to the people of Israel who were first hearing this message. It would have communicated to them that the Lord is with them wherever they go and whatever they go through. And beloved, this is true for you too. So here's the sermon in a sentence. Christian, the Lord is with you wherever you go and whatever you go through. We'll learn from Genesis 39 that since the Lord is with you wherever you go and whatever you go through, you should be found trustworthy and righteous and faithful, just like Joseph. Really, in imitation of your Savior. We're going to unpack Genesis 39 in three sections under three headings. I believe there is an outline provided there in your bulletin that may help you to follow along. Let's begin with our first point. The Lord is with you in betrayal. 
The Lord is with you in betrayal. Follow along as I read Genesis 39, verses 1 to 6. Genesis 39, verses 1 to 6. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites, who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord Yahweh was with him, and that the Lord Yahweh caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. And he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord Yahweh blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord Yahweh was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. The Lord was with Joseph in betrayal, and he was found trustworthy, as we see here. Verse 1 reminds us of the betrayal that Joseph has already endured by, by mentioning that Joseph had been brought down to Egypt. Remember that in Genesis 37, just two chapters earlier, Joseph's brothers stole his coat and sold him into slavery. Uh, they were jealous and greedy, jealous for their father's love and greedy for money. Years later, just like Joseph, our Lord Jesus would be betrayed and sold for silver. The phrase there in verse 1, now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, it also reminds us that Joseph was not going willingly. Now this was against his will. Joseph had wanted to serve his father in his father's house, but now he's being made to serve Potiphar. Psalm 105 Verse 18 tells us that Joseph's feet were hurt with fetters, that his neck was put in a collar of iron. Joseph was likely a teenager, probably 17 or 18. And he's standing as a potential slave on an auction block like an animal. Potiphar, no doubt, inspected him. You can imagine him feeling Joseph's muscles, sticking his fingers in his mouth, examining his teeth to see if he's sick in any way. No human should be treated like that. But even here, God's hand is with Joseph. Joseph could have been sold in Egypt to a no-name Egyptian. But he wasn't. He's been sold to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, a man of great consequence. The Lord was, was doing something that Joseph could not see or sense. Psalm 105, I mentioned earlier, verses 16 and 17 also tell us, that God had summoned actually a famine on the land. And that God had sent a man ahead, Joseph, who sold as a slave, so that the people of Israel might be rescued. God is up to something here. Maybe, maybe you have been betrayed in some way. Maybe you have suffered or are suffering. Maybe you can't see or sense what God is doing. Maybe you don't know what the future holds. Beloved, you can trust the one who holds you and who knows exactly what your future holds. Joseph's brothers, the Ishmaelites, who sold him, and Potiphar, who bought him, they're the, uh, the, the kind of the proximate causes of Joseph's condition and the place that he's in. But God is the ultimate cause. Your path may be winding. 
You might be pushed and pulled by different people down a particular path, but rest assured, God is leading and guiding you all the way home, as we've just sung. In verse 2, you see there, we're told that the Lord, Lord Yahweh was with Joseph and that he became a successful man. Now, sometimes God's presence with his people shows itself in prosperity and productivity. That's not always the case, but that's, that's the case here in Joseph. We see another kind providence of God there in verse 2. Not only was Joseph, God with Joseph in all that he did, but God placed Joseph in the house of his Egyptian master. Right, Joseph, he could have been relegated to labor out in the heat in the fields. He could have been forced to make bricks without straw. But instead he was given labor in the house of his master. And Joseph did not squander this opportunity. He worked diligently and his master noticed it. Potiphar noticed something more too. He saw the Lord was with him. And the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. He perceived that there was something different about Joseph. Christian, does your employer perceive that there is something different about you? Joseph, he's, he's busy doing things, right? And the Lord is busy blessing him. Beloved, be busy doing things, working for the glory of God. Does your employer notice that you're not only busy working, working hard, but that you carry the joy of the Lord with you as you go? Just like Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man, so did Joseph. Right? Did you see that in verse 4? Joseph found favor in Potiphar's sight. But then did you notice that, that next phrase? Joseph attended him. Betrayal didn't define Joseph. So, sometimes we let our experiences define us. That didn't happen for Joseph. Betrayal didn't define Joseph. Betrayal didn't deter Joseph from doing his duty. He faithfully served his master. Christian, remember the admonitions that we find about, about working in the New Testament? So 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 1 says this, Let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor. So honor your boss. So that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Your, your work is actually connected to your testimony about Jesus and God. Hear these words from Titus chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Bondservants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. So, so try to do everything your boss says, unless he's asking you to sin. Oh, oh, obey your boss. They are to be, these are Christians, they are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative. That's challenging, isn't it? Not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Are you adorning the doctrine of our God and Savior in your workplace? Are you, are you faithfully serving your employer or are you stealing from your employer? Uh, stealing through perhaps the distractions of social media or Amazon or planning whatever the plans are for tonight. Maybe extraneous conversations with your coworkers. When you are at work, give yourself to working. Attend your boss like, like Joseph attended his master. Remember who you ultimately work for and serve. We're told this in Colossians chapter 3, verses 22 to 24. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service, as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive, this is what you're going to receive from the Lord, the inheritance is your reward. You are serving the Lord 
Christ. Christian, remember that you are ultimately serving Christ. You've, you've put on his name and you live it out before the world. So work unto him as though he's present with you because he is. And children, I, I think there's application for here, here for you too. The school year is about to start up and your schoolwork is your work. Do your schoolwork, your homework unto the Lord. Don't cut corners to go faster, go slower. Slow down, think it through, read carefully what you're being asked to do. Pursue your work with excellence and for the glory of God. You are not ultimately trying to please your parents or your teachers, but God. So children, young people, serve Jesus even in your schoolwork. God, he caused everything that Joseph did to succeed. And so Potiphar put everything into Joseph's charge. This began in verses 3 and 4, but it's emphasized there again in verses 5 and 6. As Potiphar blessed Joseph with responsibility, the Lord blessed Potiphar and his house with prosperity. The Lord did it, as we read there, for Joseph's sake. Is that not amazing to consider? The Lord blessed the labors of Joseph's hands as a special encouragement to Joseph. The Lord wanted Joseph to know that he was not laboring in vain. And Joseph should have welled up with thankfulness in his heart for how God was so pleased to bless his labors. Christian, when you have had successes in your workplace, stop and give thanks to God. Perhaps he is, he's doing something similar with you that, that he did with Joseph here. Perhaps he, he wanted a signal to you that he is, he's with you. Joseph is prospering in everything. That's what that phrase in house and in field at the end of verse 5 communicates. The, the blessing of the Lord is so abundant and, and so total that Potiphar is at peace about absolutely everything that touches Joseph's hands. All he has to worry about is just what lands on his plate for eating. Brothers and sisters, let us be the kind of people who can be trusted with everything. Pray that the Lord would bless your labors. Do you pray that when you're commuting into work? Do you pray, Lord, for your glory, will you be with me today, and with my labors today, and bless my labors today so that my, my boss may be blessed, so that my co-workers may be blessed, so that my neighbor would be blessed? Moms, pray for the blessing of your labors. Lord, be with me and bless my labors today. Let the fruit of my labors be the eternal blessing of salvation for my children. Lord, let them know something from my labors of how great you are. All moms, pray that for God's glory. The Lord, he was with Joseph in betrayal, and Joseph was found trustworthy. Betrayal in our lives is it's significant, it's serious, it's sobering, it's often filled with sorrow. But we should believe that the Lord is doing something beyond our betrayal. He was doing something in Joseph's life beyond his betrayal. He was drawing out the character that Joseph would need to lead Egypt through a famine and to forgive his brothers. Though other people may have betrayed our trust like Joseph, we should be found trustworthy. We should keep trusting the Lord and we should be trustworthy. You will be found trustworthy if you serve the Father like Jesus did. Right? In John chapter 8, verse 29, Jesus said, I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. Like Jesus, keep living to please the Father, no matter where He takes you or what He takes you through. Though other people may have saddled you with new burdens and cares, you should be determined to be a blessing. 
Why? Because the Lord is with us. There is nothing and no one you need more than the God who will never betray you. The God who will never leave you or forsake you. Jesus was forsaken by God on the cross so that you never would be. Jesus has promised to be with you to the very end of the age. And dear Christian, he is. Christian, always believe that the Lord is with you, even in betrayal. Second, this passage teaches you that the Lord is with you in temptation. That's our second point. The Lord is with you in temptation. Follow along now as I read uh, Genesis chapter 39, verse 6. And um, we'll read to about verse 10. Genesis 39, picking up there in verse 6. Kind of halfway through. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. And he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am. Nor has he kept back anything for me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph, day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her, or to be with her. The Lord, he was with Joseph in betrayal, and we can see that the Lord was with Joseph in temptation too. That's why he had the power to resist and pursue righteousness. Notice that this section begins with an evaluation of Joseph. First, Moses, the the author of Genesis, tells us that Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. That's what we were told about Rachel in Genesis 29, verse 17, that she was beautiful in form and appearance. This language speaks of being well-built and pleasing to the eye. This led one commentator to opine, amid Joseph's many blessings, he suffers from one endowment too many. Stunning beauty. Yes, to suffer from that one endowment would be difficult. Well, it actually is, isn't it? Because it's what draws Joseph or, his, or Potiphar's wife, her eyes to him. Right? That, she gives an evaluation of Joseph, doesn't she? Potiphar casts her, Potiphar's wife casts her eyes on Joseph and she says, lie with me. Now mark well, the eyes wander before the heart does. The eyes wander before the heart does. Sisters, may I say to you, Do not be a Potiphar's wife kind of woman. It is true that men are liable to sexual temptation. We actually saw that in the last chapter, right, with Judah. And his pursuit of Tamar is wicked and sinful pursuit. It is true that men are liable to sexual temptation. But so are women. There is a reason that we have this example in the scriptures. And I have counseled both men and women who are ensnared in this sin. Do not think yourself immune to this sin. Look at what Potiphar's wife did. She cast her eyes upon Joseph. Men should guard their eyes. And sister, so should you. Be careful about what you watch and what your eyes see. And keep yourself far from those salacious romance novels. They will not train your mind in the ways of the Lord. Let us all pray. What Psalm 119 verse 37 says. Let's pray for ourselves. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. 
Sisters, looking at Potiphar's wife here, do not ever say to a man who is not your husband, lie with me. And do not entertain those thoughts either. It is not harmless daydreaming. Let us all learn from Joseph's reply. He immediately refused temptation. He immediately rebuked her. He immediately remembered his position and responsibility, his relationship to Potiphar, his, his duty to his fellow man and to God. He tells his master's wife there in verses 8 and 9 that he has been given everything except one thing, her. Does that remind you of anyone else in the Bible? Does it remind you of Adam, who had been given charge of everything in the garden, that he could eat and enjoy from every tree in the garden except one? Unlike Adam, Joseph did not fall to this temptation. He did not sin against Potiphar. He did not commit adultery and break the seventh commandment. Do you see why? Because he was keeping the first commandment first in his heart. He would serve the Lord God before he served himself. Isn't that what the Lord Jesus did? What we read earlier from Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus resisted Satan? How was Jesus' holy heart able to resist temptation? Because his heart was wholly given in love to his Father. How was Jesus' holy heart able to resist temptation? Because he not only loved the law of God, which he quoted again and again, but because he loved the God who wrote the law. Jesus knew his Father's nearness and he kept his Father's words near to his heart. When you remember that the Lord who loves you is near to you, you will say with Joseph, how can I do this great wickedness against my great and gracious God? How can I sin against God when he has done so much for me in his Son in the Lord Jesus Christ? How could I betray him? I cannot. We need to speak of sin as Joseph does here. He calls it not just wickedness, but great wickedness. The Puritan minister, Ralph Vinning, in his book entitled The Sinfulness of Sin, it's on the book nook if you want a copy, he wrote this, Sin is high treason against God. It attempts nothing less than the dethroning and ungodding of God himself. It is unmanned man, made him a fool, a beast, a devil, and subjected him to the wrath of God and made him liable to eternal damnation. It is continually practicing the defiling, the deceiving, and the destruction of all men. What a prodigious, monstrous, devilish thing sin is. Do you speak of sin like that? I mean, Joseph speaks of this sin as great wickedness against God. And the scriptures also speak of sin as transgression and rebellion. Do you you see the words, the last few words of Genesis 39? Joseph identifies this sin as being against God. There's a, a relational component to sin. You're transgressing someone's law, God's law. There's a rebellious and relational component there too. You're rebelling against someone, the God who gave the law. And the marring of our relationship with God is the chief guard against sin for a Christian. Matthew Henry is right when he wrote, Gracious souls look upon as the worst thing in sin that it is against God, against His nature and His dominion, against His love and His design. For this reason, those that love God hate sin. Adultery is a sin against God. 
Because God has limited intimacy to the bounds of the covenant of marriage between one man and one woman. When you transgress those bounds, you sin against God. Adultery is rebellion against God because God has clearly stated His will. In the seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery. Joseph understands the very nature of the sin that Potiphar's wife is tempting him with. It is against God. All sin is against God. That's exactly what David prayed in his prayer of confession found in Psalm 51. Right When David sinned against Bathsheba, put her husband to death, and the Lord brought him under conviction. He prayed this in Psalm 51 verse 4. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Friend, do you recognize that your sin is principally and primarily against the holy, infinite, and eternal God? That is why God, when he punishes sin, he must punish it with a holy, infinite, and eternal punishment. That is the only just punishment. Joseph, as we're seeing here, he, he lived the words of Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, which says, Let the marriage bed be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Joseph would rather face the judgment of men than the judgment of God. He chose righteousness day after day. Do you see what verse 10 says there? She spoke to Joseph day after day. What did he do? He would not listen to her. To lie beside her or be with her. This woman was relentless. Christian, day after day, keep refusing temptation. It will build muscle and the ability to continue to resist and refuse. You can be tempted and not given to sin. Joseph did it. And you, by the grace of the Holy Spirit, can resist and refuse too. Do not give it one victory. Do not listen to the temptations. Do not meditate upon them, dwell upon them, or give them any foothold. Do not permit yourself to be in the place of temptation, with the people of temptation. Joseph would not even be with her. Christian, don't go near. Brothers, in particular, I want to remind you of the words of Proverbs chapter 6, verse 25, concerning the adulterous woman. Do not desire her beauty in your heart and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. Brothers, remember the words of Proverbs chapter 6, verses 32 and 33. He who commits adultery lacks sense. You are a fool when you give in to this sin. He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. Brother, you will destroy yourself if you give in to this sin. He will get wounds and dishonor and his disgrace will not be wiped away. Beloved, let us hear and heed the wisdom of our God and his word. Joseph, he lived these words day after day. And by the strength and grace of the Holy Spirit, you can too. By the strength and grace of the Holy Spirit, when temptations come, you can say, how can I commit this great sin against my great God? Now, there, there comes a point in temptation, where you not only have to resist, but you also have to run. And that's what Joseph does. Follow along now as I read Genesis 39, uh, verses 11 to 20. Genesis 39, verses 11 to 20. But one day, when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house were there in the house, she caught him by his garment 
saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, see, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came into me to lie with me. And I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard it, that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me. His anger was kindled, and Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. Potiphar's wife was lying in wait for Joseph. I mean, look at how aggressive she is. She grabs him, she seizes him, and she commands him. This is a Proverbs 7 woman, an adulterous woman. Proverbs chapter 7, verses 10 to 13, we read this. And behold, the woman meets him. This is the adulterous woman. She meets him dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. She is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the marketplace, and at every corner she lies in wait. She seizes him. That's exactly what Potiphar's wife has done here with Joseph. She was lying in wait. She seized him. And her words here, I think, are truncated. But we should not doubt that she was petitioning Joseph. I mean, we were told that day after day, right? In Proverbs 7, verse 21, we hear this about the adulterous woman. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. By God's grace, Joseph was holy and wise, and he resisted, and he ran. But brothers and sisters, you need to hear how Proverbs 7 ends. Listen to Proverbs 7, verses 24 to 27. And now, O sons... Listen to me. Be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths, for many a victim she has laid low. And all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. Every sin leads to death. Our world will tell you that you should say yes to your every desire. But beloved, hear what God tells you. This sin leads to self-destruction, wounds, loss of dignity, disgrace, a jealous spouse seeking to hurt and harm, and ultimately, that's how Proverbs 7 ends, with death. That's what the Proverbs tell us come as a result of adultery. Let us learn from Joseph. Let us remember the presence of our great God. Resist this temptation and run. Joseph, he leaves his robe behind and he runs to safety. Like Joseph, let us live the words of 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 8, flee from sexual morality. Like Joseph, let us live the words of 2 Timothy 2.22, so flee the youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, and love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Do you realize that Joseph was a young man? He's probably set between somewhere between 17 and 20 
He's all alone, right? No, no one would know. They're all alone. He's in his sexual prime. No one would know. He's being commanded by his master's wife, after all. No one would know. No one except God. Potiphar's wife thinks it's safe to sin. Joseph knows that it is never safe to sin. Beloved, it is never safe to sin. And it's never true that no one knows. There's always someone who knows. God always knows. Joseph knew that the Lord was with him, and he knew that he wanted to live to please the Lord, not himself. Church family, let us commit ourselves to bringing up the children and young people of this church in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, so that when they are 17 or 18 or 19 and the Lord moves them away from home, they are prepared to resist temptation and to run to the safety of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're a member of Arlington Baptist Church, ask yourself, how are you taking up that calling of our church's covenant? And how are you sharing the grace of Jesus with the youth and young people of our church family? I mean, are you ready to jump in and help serve in Sunday school in September when it begins? If you are, let me know. I'm working on the schedule right now. But brothers and sisters, this is good work to be doing, to be teaching and training the next generation that Jesus is worthy of everything. And that sin can be resisted and refused because he's redeemed us and rescued us and empowered us to live for him and his glory. Let us come alongside the parents of our church family. Let us evangelize the, the children and youth of our church family. Let us pray that they will be converted to Christ. Let us pray that the character of Christ will be formed in them. So that when the Lord sends them into the world, they're prepared for an encounter like this. And ready to run to Christ when they face it. And to that end, as, as members, as individual followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, it is crucial that we are personally living lives of piety and purity. Remember the words of Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3. Speaking to the Ephesian church, Paul says, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. Pray for your fellow church members to resist temptation and to run to Jesus when it comes. To be like Joseph, to be righteous and trusting in the Redeemer. On the heels of this temptation comes a false accusation from Potiphar's wife. First to the men of the house, and then she makes the same accusation to her husband. This is a vile woman. Not only is she throwing herself at another man... But she also throws out ethnic slights along the way. When she says there in verse 14, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. When she calls Joseph the Hebrew servant there in verse 14, she is speaking in a derogatory manner. She is emphasizing his ethnicity and his status as a slave to put him down. Potiphar's wife is trying to put Joseph down while lifting herself up as the righteous one in the situation. It's not at all true. She's a liar. She's trying to declare her righteousness in word and deed when it's actually Joseph who's the one who's been righteous in word and deed. Not only does she blame Joseph, but she blames her husband. Right In verse 14, she blames her husband to the servants. Well, that's surely one way to undermine your husband's authority. She's basically saying that her husband brought Joseph into the house to, to mock them. She's trying to win them over to her side and make them witnesses for her cause against Joseph. This is a manipulative woman. Brothers and sisters, 
Beware of the sin of manipulation, emotional manipulation, and emotional exploitation. You are playing with fire that you cannot control, and you will eventually experience a backdrop that will burn you. In verse 17, Potiphar's wife, she turns around, she blames her husband to his face. I mean, this is bold. She says, whom you have brought among us. She accuses Joseph not only of attempting to rape her, adulterous intimacy, but ultimately of attempting to humiliate and disgrace her. That's what I think the language about laughing is is actually getting at. And just stop and consider how difficult this must have been for Joseph. I mean, he was innocent. Potiphar had left everything in Joseph's hand, and now his wife was holding Joseph's garment in his hand, in her hand. Once before, Joseph's garment, his coat, had been used as evidence of his death. And now Joseph's garment, his coat, in what seems to be a dark twist of providence, is being used as evidence that he actually deserves death. I mean, that was the penalty that was due to adultery, both in the Old Testament and in the ancient Near Eastern law. It's not hard to imagine what must have been running through Joseph's mind. No doubt he was wondering where God was in all of this. I mean, you can imagine Joseph saying to himself, Lord, I was, I was trustworthy. I was righteous. I am innocent. I have followed your commands. I have prized you above all. Why am I going through all of this? Where are you now, God? The Lord was right there with Joseph. We see it in how Potiphar actually responds there in verses 19 and 20. It's not surprising that Potiphar is angry. But ask yourself, as you you look at the text, where's Potiphar's anger directed? At Joseph? His wife? The text is actually ambiguous. He's just angry. And we can understand why. I mean, he's going to lose the best worker he's ever had. He's going to lose the blessing that he's enjoyed because of Joseph's labors. He doesn't appear to believe his wife completely. For if he did, he would have put Joseph to death. Instead, he puts Joseph into prison. The king's prison, which leads us to our third and final point. The Lord was with Joseph in injustice. Justice, And the Lord is with you in injustice. Follow along as I read verses 21 to 23. 21 to 23. But the Lord Yahweh was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he, it's Joseph, was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord Yahweh was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord Yahweh made it succeed. The Lord was with Joseph in injustice and Joseph was found faithful, wasn't he? I mean, Moses lets us know that the Lord is up to something special there in verse 21. He uses the covenant name of God, Yahweh. That's what the capital letters L-O-R-D mean there in your translation, your English translation. God's covenant name reminds us that God is committed to his covenant promises and purposes. God promised Abraham and Isaac and Jacob that he would be with them. And now God is keeping his promises to Joseph. God will not let his promises fail. He will see to it that the promised son who will defeat sin and Satan and death will indeed come. And Joseph is part of that plan, part of keeping God's people alive so that that son could come. Moses, he he not only uses the covenant name of God, 
But he also tells us that the Lord showed Joseph steadfast love. God was showering Joseph with his covenantal mercy and kindness, his unfailing, loyal love. God was not forsaking Joseph in this moment. By these two clues, God's covenant name, and the declaration that he's showing him love, Moses tells us that God's being loyal to Joseph. Though he had been betrayed, tempted, and now unjustly imprisoned, the Lord was with him through it all. Like our Lord Jesus, though innocent, Joseph was numbered with the transgressors by being placed in that prison. The cross wasn't the end for Jesus, and this jail cell was not the end for Joseph either. And I wonder, would you take Joseph's position? Is it not better to be in the dungeon with the divine than in the highest halls of power without him? I mean, if those were your options, where would you rather be? How precious is the presence of God to you? Would you rather have unending prominence in the eyes of the world and prosperity and power or the presence of the one who made the world? Joseph was not out of place in that prison. Joseph was right where he belonged. And if the Lord is with you, even facing unjust accusation and incarceration like your Savior before you, then you are right where you belong. The Lord even gave Joseph favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. You see that in verse 22? The keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of everything and everyone. And this, is, this is deja vu, right? It's exactly what happened in Potiphar's house. And now it's happening in the king's prison. Is this not amazing that Joseph continues to do his duty? He continues to work to be diligent and to be found trustworthy and faithful. The presence of the Lord prods Joseph on to faithfulness. Joseph has been sinned against over and over and over again, but he doesn't stop serving the Lord and his fellow man. He keeps doing his duty. When we are sinned against, we are so tempted to become destructive rather than productive. But that's not what Joseph does, is it? Beloved, simply because someone sins against you, even over and over and over again, does not mean you are justified in sinning against them or forsaking your duty to God and to them. Learn from Joseph that sin should not stop you from serving the Lord and others. This chapter, it ends where it began, by underscoring the Lord's presence and the blessing of prosperity by the Lord's power. Do you, do you see what's unfolding here in Joseph's life? Do you see how the, God's hand of providence is right there? Do you see how God is working His purposes out to overrule His people's sin to save them? I mean, look back up to verse 20, right? Do you see where Joseph is? He's in prison, yes, but whose prison is he in? He's in the king's prison. Do you see God's hand in this? The lower Joseph goes, the closer he gets to the throne. You realize that, right? Joseph has to go low to be lifted up. Humiliation always comes before exaltation in the Bible. For Joseph, there was no palace without the prison. But it takes injustice to get him there and betrayal 
Even there. Or perhaps you should say, especially there, the Lord was with Joseph. Before he is exalted to second in command of all of Egypt and feeding his family and the world out of the palm of his hand, he travels the path of humiliation. This was true of King David, who had to be hunted and hounded by Saul and hide in caves before he was crowned as king. This was true of our Lord Jesus. The humiliation of the cross came before the exaltation of Jesus' resurrection and ascension. There is no crown without the cross. And remember, Jesus endured temptation, betrayal, and injustice. Our Lord Jesus faced injustice, faced false accusations, deceit, slander, and lies. Jesus went through this humiliation to deliver us from the punishment that our sins deserve. Jesus went through this humiliation, not only to himself to be exalted, but so that he could lift us up too, to be with him for all eternity. Friend, do you realize that about Jesus? Do you realize that the reason that God the Father sent his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to this earth was to deal with our great wickedness? That we actually do not deserve the palace. We deserve the eternal prison facing God's eternal judgment and wrath because of our great wickedness and sin against God. But the good news of the Bible is that we don't have to face God's infinite, eternal, and holy wrath forever because he sent his son, one who is greater than Joseph. Joseph was a sinner, but Jesus was sinless. Jesus lived a perfect life for the glory and honor of God the Father. All that he did pleased the Father. And the Father called him to lay his life down for sinners like you and me. Jesus, he was betrayed. He was unjustly beaten and killed. Jesus went to the cross for sinners like us. And on the cross, Jesus died bearing the punishment due to the sins of all of those who would ever turn from their sins and trust in him. And three days after his death, God the Father raised Jesus from the dead, vindicating him and proving to us all that his life and death on behalf of repenting sinners was acceptable in God's sight. Jesus became the source of life and salvation. Friend, you have deceived, you've manipulated, committed sexual immorality. We have all sinned against God. You are guilty of some great wickedness against God. We all are. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All deserve to receive the wages of sin, which is eternal death. So confess your sin and come to Jesus. Turn from your sin and trust in Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You will one day be exalted to glory with Christ the Savior. Not because of what you've done, but because of what He has done. And if you want to know more about what it means to trust in Jesus, the one who has gone through this path of humiliation for you, in order to save you, come and find me at the door after the service. I'd love to talk with you more about this good news. As we conclude, dear Christian, you should know that because Jesus went through the humiliation of temptation, betrayal, and injustice, he is a sympathetic Savior who is present with you in your sufferings and sorrows. That should make the presence of the Lord Jesus all the more precious to you. Jesus knows the depths of where you are and what you are going through. 
This is who our Savior is. He is, in the words of Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, Emmanuel. He is God with us. And Jesus keeps his promise that he made to us at the end of Matthew's gospel. Matthew 28, 20, Jesus said, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And the Apostle Paul applied this glorious truth that God is with us and for us. In Romans chapter 8, verse 39, where we read, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What is more? Because Jesus was righteous in temptation and betrayal and injustice, the presence of His Holy Spirit with you empowers you to be found trustworthy and righteous and faithful. Christian, let this be your soul's great comfort today and every day. Wherever you go and whatever you go through, Jesus is with you. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that you draw near to us, that you never leave us or forsake us by your Holy Spirit. You are always with us. Father, help us to grasp the profound nature of your presence with us. Father, help us to live out of the power of the presence of your Holy Spirit with us. All for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, who was betrayed for us, who was tempted for us, who suffered unjustly for us, and who was raised for us. Father, help Christ to be our great vision day after day. And help his presence with us to be a precious remedy to the sorrows we feel day by day. We pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.